The We Are Dog Nation podcast reports and opinions are not those of UGA. This is not yet an official podcast of the University of Georgia. Touch double reverse pass here, throwback. Dusty, going to me. The call. That Landers lets it go. Wide open to Mathis in a touchdown. Falling the ground. I told the coaches each team gets you know one trick play. I didn't realize that we didn't really have time after practice to organize the trick play. So supposedly they drew it up in the locker room before the uh, before the plays. And both teams ran one. Obviously they had a little more success there. So one's a really good athlete. The 10, 700-meter guy can run. So what exactly you saw on that, okay? I didn't hear that. What? We were rocking through the trick play again. We're going to oh. run a replay. Okay, so just walk me through what you saw when it was developing. Go ahead. Trick play? Yep. Well, I actually didn't know it was called. I didn't have the call. So I saw Matt coming around. I thought it was going to be a reverse. And then when he, I knew Matt was a good thrower. That's what I was going to say, did you know that Matt could do that? No, I had no idea Matt could do that. But I knew Duan could. Duan can run. He's always bragging about his Tyson! Get out there, knucklehead. Um, but Matt can run. I mean, Duan can run. He made a heck of a play right there. This is the We Are Dog Nation podcast. I'm your host, Nation. That's short for Dog Nation. And I want to thank all you guys who reached out and asked me, hey, when's the next podcast? And quite frankly, I was kind of holding up because at one point in time, I just wasn't quite sure we have a season. People backing out, rumors of cancellation, all this type of stuff. But hey, once I knew uh, about a month ago, this is a full goal, and this season's going to go on, go on ahead and be one, even though it's not a full uh, 12 game schedule, just all SEC schedule. Got all excited. Got all excited because it's going down. I cannot wait. We are two weeks away from curb stomping the Arkansas Piggies. And yes, I called them Piggies. And we're going to go into Arkansas on their home field and hand Sam Pittman, our former offensive line coach, his very first loss as a head coach. We're going to destroy him because we're hungry, we're ready, we're ferocious, and it's time. So, so I'll get right into it. I'm going to try to do this podcast here in 40 minutes or less. And got a lot of stuff to say and not that much time. So I'll probably end up doing another one right before next I'll do one another next week before the official kickoff on the 26th. But at the very latest, at the very least, I should say, the next podcast will be coming the following Sunday after we curb, stomp, and barbecue some piggies out in Arkansas. So, I played that clip here earlier that you heard of the 2019 spring game with DeJuan Matthews for a reason. I will get toward why I played that clip towards the end, just in case y'all didn't know. We'll talk about that. And we're also going to talk about my trip down to Athens, Georgia yesterday. Because I was kind of wondering, hoping maybe there was no official announcement that I heard of where there was going to be a third scrimmage. And so I got my hair cut yesterday and said, well, I'm just going to drive down to Athens, Georgia, go to the bookstore, get a couple stuff, a couple things, you know, UGA stuff. And if there's practice going on, of course I'm going to watch it. But if not, hey, there's never, it's never a waste of trip going to Athens, Georgia. And to my wonderful surprise, there was a third scrimmage yesterday. I saw some stuff for myself. I'm getting that towards the end of the podcast. And talking about what I saw and what you be excited about and all that good stuff. But I wanted to 
do the first part of this podcast talking about why it's been 40 years. Why it's been so long. Now, some of you may not care because you, you know, like I know, championships are about to come. I've been saying this on this podcast for quite some time. I'm going to keep on saying it because I know it to be true. There is a dynasty coming through Athens, Georgia under Kirby Smart. And winning championships at UGA is going to come sooner rather than later. And more than likely, I'm really believing it's going to start happening this year. And and one of my predictions is, I've been telling people, while I know Georgia's going to win this year, why I just know we're going to win this year, because everybody not playing. Wouldn't it be just our, I don't want to call it luck, but just our fortune for us to win the national championship in 2020 and everybody go, well, you know what? Everybody wasn't playing, so there's the asterisk beside it. Watch. Watch. I had a friend of mine tell me, well, I'm standing right now. Uh, I don't care who wins the national championship. It's not a real national championship, man. You kidding me? Look, listen. It ain't my fault everybody not playing. It's something like, I think it's like 76 or 80-something uh, schools out of 130 that's playing. If Georgia win that national championship, like I believe we all going to win it this year, you're not going to be able to tell them it's not a real national championship. And it's going to lay the groundwork, well, the groundwork's already laid, but this could just be the first of many more to come since 1980. But getting back to the 1980, why, and a couple of points where I want to point out why I believe it was so long. And a lot of it has to do with culture and things need to be changed from Vince Dooley on up to Mark Rick, now to Kirby. And so we'll get to that a little bit. So the year before, Georgia went 12-0 in 1981 National Championship with Archie Walker, who, by the way, if you didn't know, it came down to a coin toss. Can you believe that? A coin toss between Georgia and Tennessee where Herschel was going to go. I'm so glad God had that coin land on the right side, and he ended up being in Georgia. But the year before for the championship season, in 79, Georgia went 6-5. and five. You tell me what a difference maker Herschel was? Not only that, for those of you may, who do know or may not know, the next couple of years, had we won the bowl games that we played in, we came up just shot. We'd have been three-time national champions in a row, along with Herschel being the first Heisman Trophy winner since Frank Sankwich. So it, it's, he, he did, it, he was, of course, we all know how wonderful he was and arguably the greatest college football running back of all time. But the downside of that, of all that success, there's the downside of that. And it, it's no fault to Herschel. Just what I believe, what i kind of seen over the years, I think either consciously or subconsciously, we tried to recreate the formula of having this big-time superstar come in of a running back have the same formula and think this is going to work again. Even throughout the fan base, every time there was a big-time running back back in the day who come to Georgia, the first thing someone tried to do is compare him to Herschel Walker and say, oh, he kind of mind me the next Herschel Walker. Look, Herschel was 6'1", 225, pure, solid rock, and ran a 4'2", 640 at 225 pounds. Most people who have Olympic speed are not 225 pounds. 
Let's let's just get that clear. So he was a freak of nature. You're talking about somebody who was fighting in mixed martial arts at 48 years old, fighting guys in their 20s and beating them. Not getting knocked out, but beating them. He's a freak of nature. You're not going to see another Herschel Walker come through Georgia. Not for another 100 years. So, but I think we would try to recreate that formula. Every running back, it was like, okay, is he the next Herschel? And on top of that, I believe that also created a atmosphere and a culture, a superstar culture, where a superstar driven and who we relying on and, and who we pulling on and who's going to lead this way. It wasn't a stacked team back in the day. And I said that, and I'm saying that because I remember I was listening to Sports Talk Radio years ago. And Raymond Michael was on uh, one of Sports Talk Radios here in Atlanta. And he, they asked him, said, hey man, all that talent you guys had back in the day. And Randy McMichael played tight end for the Dogs, uh, late 90s, early 2000. Played several years in the NFL um, with San Diego Chargers. And they asked him, they said, look, all that talent you guys had back then, what happened? Why no SEC championships? Why no national championships? Why not even play for national championships? He was very honest. And he said, look, that culture back then in the locker room was very me-driven. It was very superstar-driven. It wasn't about team. Then when he said that, I remember what Eric Ainge said, who used to play quarterback for Tennessee. He said, when we faced Georgia, we knew that Georgia had more talent than us. But we also knew that they did not know how to play as a team and we exploited that. And you look back over the time before Kirby Smart got there, we all relying on key individuals. Like, it's not like today. This is, it's, it's, it's still mind-blowing today that I can sit up here and get excited about a player and forget about another player. We got so many players we forget about, oh, that guy too. Oh, that guy's an all-star too. Oh, that guy's awesome too. I mean, we're, we're so loaded now. We've never been loaded like this before. Like, prime example, we're so, you know, okay, you got Zamir White, who's on, have a really great year, and I really believe that. But so is James Cook. Then, oh, yeah, we got George Pickens. Everybody know about George Pickens, but oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got the other wide receivers stepping up. We lost off, you know, it's so much talent, you forget. It's like, oh, they've got that guy. Oh, we got that guy. Oh, we we're just loaded. But bef- but before that era, before the, uh, the Kirby Smart era, it was just superstar driven, not playing as a team, not playing as a team. So, and I thought about, you know, even like the culture wasn't quite edgy enough. And not, not just under Mark Rick, but period. Let's go back to, uh, I'll say 97. 97, 98. Mm, more, more, 97, I think. So anyway, I remember Jamal Lewis went to Frederick Douglass High School in Atlanta. And 
he was one of the best running backs in the country, out of the state of Georgia. And I just kept, I always kind of wondered all those years back, why did he didn't, why did he go to Georgia? I don't understand. What you, he was so great. Why didn't you go to Georgia? Then I heard an interview he did on YouTube a couple years ago, and he was talking about it. And people say, you know, how come you didn't go to Georgia? He said, quite simple. They didn't recruit him. It was all on Jaffa Sanks. And Jaffa Sanks was like a parade All-American. At Carver High School, he was he was great. But why not bring both in? Like, it, it, the culture wasn't aggressive enough. And, you know, after Vince Dooley, and we brought in Ray Golf, we brought in Jim Downey, them guys just couldn't cut it. I mean, can you imagine? Look at what we have now as a program. And some of you may be uh, old enough, some of you old enough to remember it, some of you not, might not have been born yet. But can you imagine, like, one of, like, <laughs> it's, it's laughable now, but the reason why Jim Donnan got fired, okay, he cannot beat the Big Four. The Big Four was Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, and Georgia Tech. I'm going to say that again. No need to rewind. Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, and yes, I said Georgia Tech. There was actually a time when we struggled to beat Georgia Tech on a regular basis. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so, in come Mark Rick, and I, I tell you, I'm not going to, I'm going to say something about Mark Rick, but I'm not dumping on him because I think he's a really great man. He's a really good coach. And he had us close a couple times, 2007, 2012, uh, 2002. Had us close, like, a good three times. It was really close to doing something special. And the credit, uh, Mark Rick, he got us to a 10-win season on a regular basis, just about. I think up until that time, until he left, or uh, he released from his job, I want to say... There was 21 times in the history of Georgia football where we won 10 or more games and half of those Mark Rick years. So he did a really good job in bringing us to another level. But he wasn't the guy to take us to the championship level, I would say, on a consistent basis. Because then again, there were moments we came really close. And I think the closest we really came outside of 2007, we played really, really great. We should have we should have played for that championship, but it's over. But we, we're five we're five yards shy. Five yards shy of beating Alabama in 2012. And had we won, we'd have we would have killed Notre Dame. We'd have been national champions. So we got we got there close a couple times, but it wasn't consistently every year. We was never knocking on the door. And Mark Rick, like I said, he's a good coach, and I'm just not, I'm not trying to run him the ground, he's a great man. But he's a little too, he was a little too soft when it came down to you know, winning championships or competing for a championship on a regular on a regular basis. And I say that because a certain thing that he did was he wasn't super aggressive. Like he made the comment about 
when they asked him, how important is it to win championships? And he said, green collects dust. And I get it. Sorry about that. Phone going off. I get it. You know, ring collects dust. It's not about just winning championships. It's also about building up young men. But you got got to do both in college football. I mean, your head coach. You know, he in the Doll Post magazine, um, 2008, in his own words, he said he was so excited when he got AJ Green to commit to UGA. He decided not to recruit Julio Jones no more. Why not get both? Like certain things like that. I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't get it. Why would you tell Deshaun Watson he's not good enough to play at Georgia? Uh, are you kidding? Well, he didn't say it. Mike Bobo said, but Mike Bobo on staff, and he, he, they're not telling Deshaun Watson that what Kirby's the head coach. I can, I can, I can promise you that. But it was a bit of softness, and I remember, um, it was 2013. A friend of mine, godson, I won't, I won't call his name, but he played at Georgia from 13 to 16. And I asked him, I said, hey man, tell me about the scene, what's going on behind the scene with Coach Rick, how is he? And he said, you know, to be honest with you, he said, Martin's a great guy, but he's too soft. We can't win a national championship with him. We gotta push ourselves. I'm like, wow. And so I, I read, you know, I'm reading this book by Seth Emerson, who reports on UGA, it's a really great book. I'm on like chapter 12 now. But, Things started really shaking up and changing at Georgia leading up to Kirby Smart Hire when Jeremy Pruitt came on staff in 2014. Now, Jeremy Pruitt uh, was good friends with my Bobo and we were friends who kind of could calm Jeremy Pruitt down. But the next following year, when Will Fran and Bobo went to Colorado State, there was no more. They couldn't. There was no one there to calm calm Pruitt down, and he was get upset and be very vocal about, you know, things that are going on. Like, for example, taking a water break after he's sitting in the waiting room, or wanting to get a water break right after warmups. And he called him out on it and said that Georgia was too soft. And so, the culture down there, and and those who play sports, a lot of times you're going to follow the team's going to follow the personality of your coach and this not to say he was a great co- good coach if but because he was a good coach he's a great man he was a good coach but if you're not stressing natural championship if you're not also stressing just as hard when a national championship as you are doing a great man you're going to fall short so you mix all that in the culture of wanting to be a superstar culture not playing as a team and being very a lot of of individuals on there just being about themselves and and the lack of discipline that we had and little things we wasn't paying close attention to detail to and you mix all that in and now you got the 40 years Kirby comes along, not only inherited a good program, he has to change the culture of the program, has to change the mindset. And just reading that book, I was looking at, you know, what happened in the 2016 season, the first season there, everybody wasn't bought in. 
there were some people who were just not, not buying to the system. When everybody's not bought in, you're not going to have the success you need to have. And when some people try to tell me, well, what did Kirby do, that Mark didn't do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For the, I think I said it before in the podcast, for the first time since 1980, 81, and 82 season, UGA has lost only one game in the regular season three years in a row. We have been knocking at the door of the playoffs, knocking at the door of winning a national championship for the first time back-to-back-to-back seasons in nearly 40 years. And the mentality that Kirby Smart has and the toughness and the edginess and the key to details will change the stuff up. Now, we all saw the painful stuff from 2017. You know, uh, unfortunately, Dominic Sanders was out of place, out of position. I don't know what he was thinking, and that kind of outside of the missed calls of the championship game. But we felt sh- we felt sh- shy in our championship. Now I think 18 with the the uh, fake punt call. I think Kirby just got, I guess, oversighted or almost or anxious or just just too determined not to lose and kind of overthought that call. Looking back on it now. In 19, okay, LSU, which is on fire. And we went against LSU, missing five of our top playmakers. George Pickers out in the first half. Lawrence Cage was hurt. Dominic Sanders got hurt. Uh, uh, Dominic Blaylock got hurt during the game. Uh, Kyrus Jackson got hurt during the game. And, and uh, DeAndre Swift wasn't himself. He was already hurt from last week. So you're talking about your top playmakers. You're trying to beat a team that's on fire. That's just not, that's not a recipe for something to happen good. But now we're returning. The best defense Georgia has ever seen. A defense that's hungry. A defense that's, that's, that wants it. That's not satisfied with, you know, we beat this team, beat this team. That, or we're not, when we beat Alabama on October 17th, we're not going to just satisfy saying we beat Alabama and let's pay back. No. It's national championship. The beautiful thing about this coaching was going on down here now, like we have other players, different schools opting out. Not, I'm not gonna, I'm not judging them for that opting out. But nobody opted out for Georgia. Nobody. It wasn't even a thought. Everybody's bought in. Everybody wanted this championship. It's only a matter of time. And I really believe the defense we have now and our offense can't be worse than last year. It just can't be. And with Kirby's determination to turn things around and to continue to grow and not be stuck and not get complacent, you see, he got rid of James Coley, thank God. Brought in Tom Munkin. We still be running back you, don't get me wrong, but we're going to but bringing in a more air raid type of offense and changing some things up and and moving with the times. It's only a matter of time. I believe. I really believe. I'm, I'm expecting this year, to be honest with you. And more years to come of national championships, and I'm, I'm ready for the good times to roll. I'm ready for good times to roll. So, going to get into this. That's kind of where I am with uh, a brief rundown of the history of why it took 40 years culture 
coaching and the culture. The culture had to be changed. If you, do, if you don't have a mindset of a champion, not going to become a champion. Excuse me. It's kind of like the old saying, before you achieve it, you must believe it. Before you achieve it, you must see it first. Let's have a mindset of a champion first, and the mindset just wasn't there. And not just on Mark Rick, just on uh, Jim Donnan, Rick Golf. The culture wasn't there, but the culture now has changed. It's the new breed of Bulldogs bringing in here. You think the Bulldogs of old? You're seeing the culture of old. So, take a quick little pause right here, and gonna come back, and we're gonna get into what I saw at practice. Oh, before I get to the practice part, gonna talk about get my take on Jamie Newman. Everybody kind of got their take, and. I heard some of the similar stuff that people believe what I believe and you know a personal take on Jamie Newman situation. While we are more than okay about that, and we are more than okay without having him there. And uh we get into practice. And talking about some buzz around this quarterback battle. And um have some fun with that. And the dummy for the dummy for the moment, or the dumb clown for the moment. We'll have that segment too. And uh, lots of fun. Be right back. All right, all right. We are back with the We Are Donation Podcast, part two. Now, let's get into Jamie Newman. Now, Jamie Newman, as we all know by now, has declared. And to opt what well, he's opt out this season, he says COVID 19 and stuff like that, and gonna go ahead and prepare for NFL draft. He made a business decision, but here's my take on the business decision Jamie Newman did not have the hype and the media attention he gotten over the last few months until he came to Georgia. He didn't have this at uh, Wake Forest. He was the fourth to fifth round draft pick at best. Come on, Wake Forest. He comes to Georgia. All of a sudden, it's Heisman talk. It's predicted Georgia be national champion because he's here and he he's six four, two thirty, got this game time experience, and he's what Georgia need, and da 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 da, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh huh. It opts out, and I can't help but think that he did that because he needed to make sure he get drafted in the NFL in twenty twenty one because he was not winning the quarterback battle. Him and J T. Daniels battling out, and so there's another quarterback back there. But then Dewan Mathis, who I played earlier here in the first part of the podcast, you belly him too. Hello, Carson Beck. But I think it was really a tight battle. And so I think uh, I think uh Damon we got to thank him. I may start, but I might I might not better keep my job. 
what if I get benched? What if somebody comes in, outperforms me, takes over? Now, what happens is, that happens, his ground stock drops. If you're going to benefit for playing this season, to have your stock at a first-round draft pick level, why you opt out? Because you need this season to go high up. But I think he looked at it and realized if I get benched and someone else starts over me, then now my NFL stock really drops and probably don't even get drafted. So it's a money decision, a business decision. And I thought I think he saw right in the wall. I'm not winning straight out. I'm not. I'm not really better than you guys. And Coach Smart is having a real quarterback competition. In years past, what I found out was here. Um, take Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm quarterback battle in the 2017 season. During practice, from my understanding. It was more like 85% Jacob Easton getting the snaps and 15% of Jake Fromm getting the first team snaps. So it was like, although it wasn't said, if you got one quarterback taking 85% of the first team snaps, that guy pretty much can be the starter. Same thing with Jake Fromm and Justin Fields. Well, Jake Fromm was taking about 85% of the first team snaps and Justin Fields taking about 15%. So you're not going to, that's kind of lopsided to say, okay, we're trying a real competition. It was 50-50 competition reps right down the middle with Newman and Barrett. That's what I'm saying. Newman JT Daniels, excuse me. And so you don't think you don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay started this whole entire season. But here's what I heard a couple months back. Well not heard, what I saw on Twitter. Malik Heron tweeted out the Juan Masters, he put a fire emoji. And then Ryan Trouble Davis subtweeted it. I've been saying this, y'all gonna see. Eric Stokes said something about how good Dewan Mathis was. Wait, 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 hold on. Hold on. Well, you got your star defensive players talking about how, how good a quarterback is. I pay attention to that. And go so far to tweet it out for all the Dog Nation world to see. I take a, I play I take very I take notice of that. I play very, very close attention to that. Like what what are they saying? Because I do realize I do remember at the spring game I was at, to me I saw flashes. I said, okay, he can, he can, he can, like he might be able to do something. A little rough around the edge, just need some polishing, but he like he can do something eventually. You know, he got a good size. He's 6'6". He's up to 215 now. He got a big time arm. He's very fast. Like you heard in the clip there earlier. It was a 10-700-yard dash. I'm like, okay, he might be able to, you know, there was one run he did at that spring game where it's like, man, he can he can move. He can escape. He can get out. So, when you got your defensive players talking about your starters, your first team defensive players talking about that, I take notice. And so, I remember a friend of mine asked me, he said, you know, who, this is before Mathis, uh, I'm sorry, before Neiman opted out and ran off because he, he wasn't going to start a job or stay the starter if he didn't want to start a job. Um, 
He said, who 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 do you have? Who who's your pick? Who do you want to see starting me? At quarterback. I said DeWan Masters. He was shocked. I said, really? So I thought you might say Jamie Newman. I said, nope. I said DeWan Masters. I'm hearing stuff from the first team defense about him. And so that's my take on Jamie. I think he just realized, man, if I stick around, I might be the starter. My draft stock really gonna drop. Okay, it's really gonna drop. So I went on down to Athens, Georgia yesterday. On Friday, I checked the weather report. They said thunderstorms in the area. So, oh, man, crap. Thunderstorms. I'm not, it wasn't announced officially they was having, or at least I didn't hear about it, they was having a third scrimmage. I kind of suspected third scrimmage. It's got up in the air. And I'm like, if it's thunder and lightning or whatever, it's thunderstorms or whatever, it's raining real bad. And at this, you know, hey, it's going to be an indoor facility and I definitely can't see it. But if they're outside, I can walk on it, walk outside across the bookstore, go on the bridge or whatever. That's what I did. If I get down there, you know, walking on the bottom level, get ready to walk towards the bookstore. And what do I see? The red, beautiful helmets. I hear whistles blowing. I said, oh my God, they got practice. It wasn't just practice, it was a scrimmage. And I got there probably like around 1.30ish, I think. And it was out there for like no, almost another two hours. And yeah, I think those of you guys who follow the stuff that the reports have put out, what's going on, the buzz around DeWan Mathis is real. And there was a report put out, well not report, was there was something flying around on uh, social media from a couple of dog, bulldog uh, Instagrams saying that Jamie, that's, I'm sorry, that saying DeWan Mathis was a star. And I, and I can I can believe that. I would be kind of shocked whether JT Daniels cleared or not if DeWan Mathis is not the starter come the 26th versus Arkansas. It was something about, you know, when you see, you know, how, you know how you go and see somebody, you go and see a game, and you can't almost identify, like, the head people, the head, the head players, the big-time players, before you have to see the game. You kind of see how somebody, their swagger, and their way they, way they handle themselves, and about the teammates. And I looked at DeJuan Masters, how he was on the sideline for a brief brief moment, like, wow, okay, something going, you know, something, his confidence is there. Something is there, so... He had a couple of, he had, well, not a couple. He had like a lot of work, majority of the work against the first team defense. And so he was completing passes and stuff like that and making runs. Matter of fact, one run, had it not been for them blowing a the whistle, I really believe it would have been like a 40 to 50-yard run on a scramble. He hit Jermaine Burton. Oh, my God. Jermaine Burton is, oh, he's going to be really great. True freshman, he's gonna be really great. He hit a, he got a, he caught a back shoulder throw pass right off of Eric Stokes. I'm like, oh, okay. Like he reminds me of Dominic Blaylock, but better. He's gonna, he's gonna have a nice impact this year um, for our offense. Believe that. But anyway, he looked. Dewan Mathis looked really good. And one thing I like about Dewan Mathis is that, you know, you go, he's going out there, you're, you're practicing against the first team, the best defense in the country. And he is getting out of the pocket. And when he doesn't have, uh, he don't have players open and there's nothing there, he's quick to throw the ball away and get it out and get out of bounds and 
and uh, making he's being very very smart with the ball. He's being very smart with the ball. I'm like he looks like the real deal. And I remember one of the uh, one of the not the announcers, one of the insiders and reporters for UGA Sports was saying that the more comfortable he get, and the better he get, he's gonna be a he's gonna be a first round draft pick and uh, a Heisman Trophy uh, finalist or candidate. And I believe that. And I I can see with DeJuan Mathis, man, the more comfortable he gets, the more reps he gets, the more dangerous he's going to become. And and what's so great about that is he's a redshirt freshman. And you're talking about at least all of this year and all of next year. We got at least two whole years here. And his his story, man, in itself is so amazing. Uh, Back on, back in, uh, in May, I think it was May 29th of 2019, he had emergency brain surgery to get a cyst off his brain. Then it was a little, he almost, he almost died. And the way, uh, and the quick response of UGA and Kirby Smart and how they handled him and treated him like they was his own son and how the family was so impressed because his dad was like, we're from Michigan somewhere. Mom and dad, we're from Michigan. So they took care of him, got the best treatment and just an awesome story to come back from emergency brain surgery, get cyst off his brain, get cleared later on, and now he's fully cleared and doing well. And his story, man, coming here working hard, learning this, being being a, a model of a young man and uh, his behavior on the field. He, uh, it's, it's hard to root for. It's hard to root against him. Not that I would, but you can't root against that guy like, guy like that. He's just uh, one of the best former, and it looks like that's gonna be our guy. He looked really good. I saw him firsthand for myself for a couple hours out there. He looks really good. He looks really ready, and so I'm excited to see what we do against Arkansas, against Auburn, and against anybody else in my way. So, have a good time with that. But anyway, let's get into a little more. Who else I saw down there? That, so, I really believe, like, you know, who else I saw down there? Like I said, I really believe that uh, he's a guy. But let's talk about somebody else here. Oh, uh, George Pickens is George Pickens. Next. <laughs> That's it. Uh, the defense is the defense. They're really great. Did I mention George Pickens was George Pickens? Did I mention how great he was? Okay, cool. All right. Let me make sure. George, oh my, oh my goodness, he had a pretty catch from DeJuan Mathis. Uh, now, the reports say that there was no touchdown against that defense. I saw differently. Um, but he had a pretty, uh, what I saw was, to believe was a touchdown catch against the first team defense. And then he had another simple curl route. Well, George Pickens caught the ball, burst the field, and took off running and made some close miss. And it was like 50 yards late, he's down towards the end zone. I'm like, okay, yep. George Pickens being George Pickens. Now, that's, that's, that's about, about right. Uh, Zeus looks stronger, powerful, quicker. And he also... Uh, I didn't see much last year because we didn't see, we didn't see much last year as far as Zeus, but uh, as far as pass catching. But I saw 
several times he caught several balls in practice. And he's going to be using the passing game a lot. So, as well as James Cook. James Cook looks phenomenal getting out in space. So those two are going to have a really good year. Matter of fact, this might be their last seasons at Georgia. Then, Dewan Edwards, who's the uh, red, you know, I'm sorry, the true freshman. He looked really good. He's really good catching the ball in the backfield, making, making, making people miss. He's going to be a really good back. Uh, saw Kenny McIntosh. He was out there at some point returning punts and kickoff returns. Also, um, Jermaine Burton was returning uh, punt returns. But McIntosh had on a black jersey, what, uh, black non-contact jersey. Not sure exactly what was going on with that. Uh, whatever it was, his legs wasn't bothering him because he was running pretty pretty fast when he was out there. But just non-contact. Let's see who else. We got Kenny McIntosh in the defense. Oh, did I mention? Did I mention? George Pickens is George Pickens. No, I'm, I'm messing around. He's joking. But he's great. Uh, and Darnell Washington, who also got first team reps in first team reps at, at uh, tight end. So, let's see him on the field. He is humongous. 6'7", 6'8", 265-ish on the area. And he will be the first player. No, this is the first year that, we, that college football has allowed the number zero. And so, he's going to have the number zero at the very first play at Edward number zero at the University of Georgia. So, he will not be hard to miss at all. So, I think I might go down there next week just to see if they got practice and see what I can see. If, if I can't see any practice, I don't see anything out there, then down the stadium where I can watch over the bridge and see which is, see them practice. And on that bridge, you can, see, you can see about 70 yards of the field. If I can't, no one's out there. I mean, it's Athens, Georgia next week. I mean, it's never a wasted trip. Going to Athens, Georgia. But I got to get to this dummy, dumb clown of the moment. I promise you, you can't make this up. This, <laughs> who I tell you, Florida is the gift to keep on giving. They really are. They are the gift they keep on giving. They have dominated and probably my and my guess will dominate the dummy of the moment on this podcast as long have a podcast or doing a podcast because you know they're they're done. Excuse that noise for a second, that's just my Bluetooth chiming in. Oh, Florida. Florida, Florida, Florida. Down another moment. You can't make this up. Sorry, guys. One second. You big dummy. You big dummy. You big dummy. You big dummy. 
you big dummies. This is a, I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is so symbolic to the University of Florida. <laughs> Do you know at their stadium this weekend, if you haven't heard already, there was a fire at their stadium. Not just a fire. A dumpster fire. A dumpster fire. Literally a real dumpster fire at the University of Florida. If that ain't symbolic to, to the whole entire program, I don't know what is. Oh my goodness. I just had I had to just share that with you guys. Dumpster fire. Wow. Mm-mm-mm. That's their program. And somehow, I guess they believe they're going to win a wide receiver set. They're going to win the SEC this year. Uh, sir, young man, that's not going to happen. I don't think they realize had we had an offense last year, we'd have really blew them out. Like, Florida faced the worst UGA team they're going to see for the next five to ten years. If if it was a year to beat us, it was going to be last year. This is the same team that did not score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. Are you kidding me? SEC champions? Yeah, maybe in baseball. It won't be in football. Anyway, I'm going to get ready to shut this podcast. Well, get off this podcast here. I think I'm at about the 40-minute mark. Probably a little bit over, yeah, a little bit over, but hey, it's all good. I'm probably gonna try to come back next week if I if I make it down to the practice next week. If they have a practice next week where I can see some things, I'm definitely do a a report on what I see, and not too much because you don't know who's listening. But I will give you give you what I can what what I'm seeing down there. But if not, I'll be back on a on September 27th, the day after we curved stomp the Arkansas Piggies. After we grill the Arkansas Piggies. As we get ready for this 2020 COVID season where we're going to be national champions where I can just hear it now. It don't count because everybody ain't played. I don't care. And my fault y'all punked out. Dogs on top, baby. Until next time, have a great Bulldog day, a great Bulldog week. As always, go dogs. Sick.